This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. That's right. We're in the second hour of Kelly and Ramia, and this is the last hour of the week because we're gathering all our spirit to help you open the gateway to your weekend. I'm Ramia Amadin. And I'm Danielle McLaughlin. And we are seated in our uh, respective studios in Toronto. I'm at the head studio in um, at AMI, <laughs> headquarters at AMI, with the background of the Toronto skyline behind me. I'm wearing my oversized jean jacket that you may or may not have seen before, but that's my Friday vibe today. And my hair is out. How about you, Danielle? Well, my hair is up because I need a grandchild to cut it for me. It's getting rather rather long um <laughs> any grandchild I, will do any grandchild you have any grandchild with scissors um i have uh, a dark gray turtleneck and i have a jacket on that is handmade in guatemala in almost every color of the rainbow and it's got um appliques and uh all kinds of things on it and i have a brooch with a mysterious animal on it that uh, my husband got when he was working in um the siberian area Wow. So, uh, yeah. A mysterious I, I like, animal. Well, I'm not sure what it is. It it could be a fox. It huh. might it's it's carved out of some uh, out of a substance and so and surrounded by little um circlets. So, I yeah, it's it's just it's a bit of a mysterious thing. I think it it has some kind of cultural significance, but mm. uh, whatever it is, I like it. It feels it it feels nice to the touch. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yes, and today, speaking of nice things, we have with us our gardener, Susan Kearney, who joins us every Friday to talk gardening. How are you, Susan? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. I, I can't tell you how much I look forward to our talks on Friday. I, when, I, when I find out that, I, that I'm getting to um, uh, co-host on Friday, I think, oh, good, Susan, I can ask her lots of questions. <laughs> <laughs> now, today we're going to talk about our plants waking up, our indoor plants. They're starting to wake up from their uh, from from their uh, winter sleep. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so nice! Just the idea of plants waking up, especially after yesterday's snowfall that inundated my snowdrops outside. I'm paying attention to my <laughs> indoor plants. Oh yeah, the, po- <laughs> the poor bulbs that were thinking it was spring earlier oh. last week, and then oh yes, and then there oh. we are. Right. <laughs> oh gosh. So, which plants are we paying attention to today? Well, a lot of our indoor plants, and I'm going to start with um, all of them. So, any any kind you have um, from the spider plant and. Um, your, your Hoya plants or um, any of your uh, uh, succulents. And right now they are all beginning to wake up because the light, we have longer light. And um, up until a couple of days ago, it was, it was actually quite mild. So if your plants were by windows, they, you know, they, they weren't getting too cold. Uh, now it's become very cold here, even though it's a bit sunny. Uh, I've started to take my, uh, tropicals away from the windows for overnight until it warms up a little more so they don't get that cold on them because they are waking up and they won't like that very much. Oh, what a good so idea. When, 
I hadn't thought of taking them away from the window at night. Boy, that makes an awful lot of sense. Thank you. Because when when we get these cold, cold days at this time, and and you can if you if you can feel the draft off the window with your hand, your plants can feel it too. And the tropicals, um, they you know even though some of them can uh, some of them can actually take temperatures down to fifty or um, ten fifty degrees Fahrenheit or ten degrees Celsius. Uh, it's the draft that gets to them, uh, especially when they're starting to wake up. So that's just one thing, you know, for the next couple of days, because it's, it's actually very, very cold. It will be very cold for the next couple of days here. Um, mm. the, the next thing is to remove all those sort of those uh, dry leaves and little dry stems that you find because the plant's starting to uh, want to put out new growth. You don't want it to try and fix those injured or, or dead areas, and, and plants do do that. Unfortunately, they spend some of their energy, and since they're just waking up and yawning and stretching, you don't want them <laughs> to uh, spend all that, that energy uh, on doing something that isn't going to help them. So remove all of that. The next thing is to your wide-leaf um, plants. The, the wide shiny leaf plants like um, well I have Chinese evergreen I have um, some other plants that are, are wide leafed uh, my banana plant is very very much wide leaf and very big um, so it, would you include ca- um, uh, uh, clivia in that category yes yeah. yes anything okay. that's shiny um, and and wide wide leafed or um, that take your hand Run that un- your fingers underneath, not on top, but underneath all of the leaves. And if you feel little bumps, um, it could be the start of um, egg lay- laying uh-huh. of um, different insects. And and this happens at this time of year. They're dormant up until um, fairly soon. Uh, and as soon as they know that plant's going to wake up. It's going to be food for them. So you want to get rid of those leaves. Just take them right off and get rid of them. Uh, right, so like scale and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And you right. can actually feel those. Just get rid yes. of those leaves. It's, it's going to help the plant. If too, too many of the, the leaves have it on, um, I don't use any kind of insecticide soap. So um, I just unfortunately have to tell the plant goodbye because you don't want that to be infesting all your other plants as things are waking up. A lot of these can be spider mites. Um, mm-hmm. I know that my banana tree is very prone to that, um, and and I think the Chinese evergreen can be prone to that because it's not really an evergreen. It's uh, very wide, shiny, flat leaves. Anything that is like that. Uh, get get rid of those leaves. That's you know, that's because then that's the way to do won't... it. Oh yeah, now, that that is. Hmm. I I have a question about when, if at all, we should start using fertilizer on our indoor plants. Hmm. Um. <clears throat> I I will start probably in the next week. Um. Starting to fertilize them but then i will only do it that week and then um in watering because now we're going to start watering them a little bit more um because they are starting to drink more but the next thing to do when when you do that um 
before you do it, actually before you do it, take a, a dull um, stick um, and poke into the soil so that um, you don't disturb the roots or any new growth, but poke into that soil a good two to three inches down and test the, the moisture of the soil because then you will know um, how much that plant has been drinking um, as it's starting to as it's starting to wake up and start wanting to put out new growth, new roots, and whatever it's 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 doing as it's waking up, and that way then you can tell. I would start in the next week giving it a little bit of fertilizer, depending on the plant, depending on new growth. If you find new growth coming out on stems, or um, even if it's it, it, different plants will put out new growth um, where there's where there's roots. You can feel that in the soil. Um, they may, you know, shoot out a baby there, and uh, so you can feel that. If your spider plant is actually starting to get babies, and they, you know, on on the end of their um, those long yes. stems, they're starting to develop those. Yes, definitely start to fertilize because the, that new growth is going to need that. Well, that's great to know. Okay. Mm-hmm. So lots of work about this this time of year with yeah. our with our indoor plants. Yeah. Now, can I ask a question about African violets? Yes. I have two, mm-hmm. and and they, I've had them for a long. Actually, I have three, but because I, I I lie a lot about the number of plants I have. I have a huge <laughs> number of plants. Yeah. <laughs> so not just seventeen. Not, uh, well, I have 18 in the room where I'm sitting, and that's this is one right. of the, the lighter wow. uh, number numbers, yeah. Um, but one of them is flowering away, and the other yeah. one doesn't seem to be putting out flowers at all. What's? Uh, I mean, I had them sitting next to one another for a while. What What do you think is going on? Um, I, I I would take the one that isn't flowering. And yes. I would change it to another location. Do you have it in an east, uh, like an east or a west window? Um, they're actually uh, in south windows, but not right up against the window. There, there was okay. because that's a, too much light there. So yes, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, so I move it to a different window. It. That's an idea. Yeah, yeah, I would change its location um, a, a little bit. But then another thing you can do is take a Q-tip and touch very gently um, the, the one that's flowering and put some of that pollen onto the other plant. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That sounds um, like you can... an experiment worth doing. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, it, it sometimes works um, if the plant is um, waking. Wake, it's interesting that you said that's flowering because I um, all my jade plants um, except for the the younger ones are flowering right now, which is very interesting that things can yeah. flower in winter, but uh, some things some things do, and you know they're they're definitely and and also um, your your African violet you can give it some fertilizer now, give both of them um, and see what see what happens the uh, get the other one flowering. I like to know when it flowers. Okay, yeah, it's, it's sort of like if you see here's your friend. It's flowering. This is what it yeah. smells like, and it's your turn yeah. to do it too, right? <laughs> that's, that's that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh. let's turn our plants. Keep turning them because the light is getting longer and brighter, and we want them to have uh, even even lighting going. Um, 
going into the, these brighter and longer days, we like them too. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, this is this Turn is so around. helpful. I, I I feel like you're, you're my own private gardener today. Thank you so much, <laughs> Susan. I really appreciate it. And as always, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Bye. Uh, bye. You can tune in for our gardening chats with Susan every Friday on Kelly and Ramya. I know I will. Mm-hmm. She always <laughs> does. After the break, we have the chatty bookshelf and what a treat we have on there for you. Two guests joining Ryan Huey to talk about a book. We'll be right back. This is Kelly and Ramya. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Welcome back. It's Kelly and Ramya. Thanks for joining us. And I don't want to take over any more time, just blah, blah, blah. So let's get into the chatty bookshelf as we always do on Fridays with Ryan Huey. Who knew an entire library could fit inside your pocket? I'm Ryan Huey. This is the Chatty Bookshelf, where we talk audiobook trends, news, and author interviews. Ryan, you have a treat for us, as we've been teasing for the last several weeks, and I'm really, really get uh, excited to get into it all with you. I'll hand you the floor. Perfect. Thank you so much for uh, having me back. And you know what? I hope you guys can all tell by the excitement on my face, but... <laughs> This smash hit has been taking the world by storm, and we have the author Josh Rydell and the narrator Torian Brackett joining us to talk about their book, actually their their work. Um, please report your bug here. I've read it or listened to it, I guess, three times already, guys, and I'm loving it so much, and it keeps getting better. So thank you so much for joining us today. I'm totally like fan geeking out over here, but really happy to have you guys. <laughs> Thanks Thank so much for having us. us. All right, guys. I want to. I have so many questions. I don't think we're going to get through them all, but we're going to try to here. So um, I'm not going to do rapid fire, but the first one, Josh, I'm going to put you on the spot. For some of the listeners and viewers that might not have read or listened to the book, could you sort of give us maybe a one to two minute synopsis on uh, the plot of the book? Sure. So Please Report Your Bug Here is a literary sci-fi novel set in 2010 San Francisco. And it's about a dating app employee who discovers a glitch in the app he's working on that transports him to other worlds. And so he spends a lot of the book trying to figure out how to replicate this bug, like how to replicate the glitch that brings him to other worlds and then what's going on in those worlds once he's there and it's a book about technology and like the excitement of inventing new technology but also technology's limits it's about what it's like to give yourself over to your job and to work and what how that shifts your identity and it's also about just how we all connect with each other in our digital age. It's got so many layers. It's truly uh, quite a delight to go through. And there's even some things that you just brought up that I didn't think of or consider, but it's it's really just 
an amazing work and such a creative idea. Uh, Josh, how did it kind of come to fruition? Like, where was the start of it? Was it just uh, one day, all of a sudden, poof, and it, it just sort of spun from there? In a way, I mean, I've always, I worked in tech through my 20s, and I've always been interested, even as a kid growing up with, you know, AOL and LiveJournal, I've always been interested in how technology can connect us with other people. And so I was sort of writing these short stories about technology and landed upon this idea of creating a dating app. Uh, I like the idea of inventing my own app in fiction. And the reason I wanted it to be a dating app is because it's a really straightforward way of connecting us with other people. You know, dating apps promise to help us find a new partner or even a soulmate. And so I thought that would be interesting to experiment with in my fiction. And then, of course, kind of like my writerly imagination took over and thought, well, what if something strange happened with this dating app? What if there's a glitch that does something weird? And from there, it spun out into this idea of, you know, using the app to transport yourself to other worlds. Interesting. And it's just truly amazing and so timely with with uh, the amount of people that do use uh, the dating apps. But I'm going to I'm going to give you a break for a quick second. I want to move over to Torian. Uh, welcome. And you narrated the entire book and you did it fantastically with all the voices you created for each character. It just it was really, really uh, great and definitely added something special to uh, the voices of those characters. How did you get involved with this project? Uh, so I've been working with the publishers Macmillan Audio for about a year now, and they reached out to me with the audition for the project. And so once I read the excerpt, I knew, okay, this is weird and cool and fun. And it's it's modern, you know, it focuses on technology and how we deal with it in the modern day. So I was hooked from the start and, you know, connecting to Ethan, our main character, uh, was something I felt as a millennial was not too hard to do. So it was it was a great time working on the project. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask another one to you, Torian. And this one was uh, kind of later down the schedule. But could you pick a favorite character that you provided a voice for, or is that is that too hard Ooh. because all of them were so unique? Uh, there there's quite a few um, that I actually enjoyed myself. A favorite character? Okay. Um... I, I really, really enjoyed the founder, uh, not so much vocally, but just his arc throughout the story. I, I did enjoy getting to see where he went and then trying to embody that in the performance was fun as well. So the, the founder is pretty high up there. Okay. All right. Uh, I liked pretty much anybody from Yarbo. It was uh, really, really great. Just uh, I could tell like uh, the, the vibe that they were giving off was great and you you captured that flawlessly in, in the voices. So it was it was great. Josh, this might surprise you, but there's a certain part in the book that is entirely my favorite, and there's a, a bust of a pretty famous person, and I think you can remember who, uh, throughout throughout the book, and you, you do quite a great description of it, and I, I just wanted to, to hear a bit about that, because it's Louis Braille, and, uh, you know, I'm a big Braille advocate, I'm a big Braille user, and I was just very surprised by the choice, I mean, given the amount of at really anybody out there you could have chosen it and it was him yeah so i'm glad you brought up that part of the book uh, this happens when the characters are on this big corporate technology campus 
And there's all kinds of things at these campuses, like, you know, ice cream shops and arcades. But this one also happens to have a sculpture garden. And in the sculpture garden, there are busts of famous people, like famous inventors. And I remember, like, I didn't actually think about this until you asked me this question, but I remember now, like, thinking back on the research process and thinking, you know, like, there's a lot of famous inventors that I think in my circles in Silicon Valley were always talked about, you know, like today you hear like the word like Tesla talked about a lot. Um, and I was thinking, you know, like there's so many inventors that have gone through history that I wanted to find someone who I hadn't heard as much about. Um, and so I could kind of like research a little bit and I came upon Louis Braille and I thought that was just the perfect choice because the book is about technology and how technology connects us to the world and other people. Um, and, you know, he invented something that does that, but that maybe we don't think about, at least like I hadn't thought about as much, um, as much of. So yeah, he, he definitely deserves a spot in that, in that sculpture garden. I'm glad that you picked up on that. It, what a wonderful kind of surprise. Um, I, I I mean, when they were walking through, there were so many different people I thought that might be be named in there and then tossed out the name Louis Braille. And it kind of like I, I jumped up. I, I literally my jaw hit the floor. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be great. And it just it wowed me uh, so, so, so much here. Josh, when it comes to or excuse me, Torian, when it comes to sort of um, what is your process like when you first you said you fell in love with with uh, reading it like wh what goes through in terms of becoming the narrator for for this uh I, I guess it would be different every time but for this particular work if you if you mind sharing kind of your process about how you get psyched up and how you kind of uh, get, get motivated into to doing the work well it really helps to enjoy the story which i did for this one um but uh, on a technical side i think a lot of narrators do have their own kind of individual processes uh, some people will read the whole book beforehand some people just gonna go for a cold read i do like to get a sense of what's going on in the book before i start recording just so there's no surprises you know a novel like this one there can be all kinds of plot twists and different characters and things that i want to make sure i know what's going on before i start so i don't want to give somebody a voice that then gets described later as completely different than I've already recorded 200 pages of a character. So there's a lot of preparation that goes into it from that front. Um, and then just getting into it, uh, reading it through once and seeing who these people might sound like, what kind of uh, archetypes and tropes they might fill, things I can have fun with, uh, especially with characters that don't appear that much. Uh, main characters you want to keep closer to kind of your voice something you can sustain for the project but you know people that just pop in and pop out you can have a little more fun with those uh, interpretations interesting okay so that that's something i'd never considered right where you might give uh someone a, a voice and then all of a sudden you're you're 100 pages in or what have you and and you have to sort of change it um, it was really interesting. So at the beginning of this interview, before you said the founder, I was picturing Ethan. I don't know if that's good or bad, but now I've kind of switched over to the founder because I know he's kind of your favorite. Uh, so when I, when I hear your <laughs> voice, that's what I'm picturing right now. <laughs> Josh, um, I I really enjoyed um, hearing about some of the the tech and and everything like that, right? And I, I follow you on Twitter, and I saw a couple of posts. And what is the tech world actually saying about 
the book and some of the whether it be the research or your trip down, um, you know, entrepreneurship. But uh, what what what's some of the feedback from that part of it? I love hearing the feedback from people because I've heard like a variety of responses and just how people interpret the book. Um, a lot of people I know who still work in tech say, oh, it hit very close to home, um, especially if they worked, if they've been working in tech for the last 10 years or so. Um, but one thing that's probably delighted me most is that you hear about a book that's about technology or about big tech. And maybe you think it's, you know, going to be just kind of a takedown of big tech. Um, and what I've been happy to see is that my friends who still work in the tech industry have described the book as capturing the nuance of what it's like to work in that field. And for me, that's really important because technology is something like that really excites me. And I there's like this wonder and excitement and like this sense of possibility about creating new things. And I think we need that, you know? Um, but there's also this, you know, part of the book that's maybe critical of, um, of like the bigger corporate owned technology companies and perhaps like some overreaching that's been done. Um, and so I, I think it's been good to hear from people still working in the industry that the book captures that nuance, that it's not kind of like taking a side per se. I love it, and I love that um, you're you're open to the feedback, and that you're 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 getting it from all kinds of different parts, whether it's fans like myself, or whether it's um, you know the tech giants or the tech companies. That that's really really great. We've done a pretty good job about getting through all of these, but this uh, this might be our final question. But I wanted to start with you, Josh. But I'm going to ask this to both of you. So I know you might not be able to answer because of uh, you know publishers and stuff. But what's next? What what might we see from you guys next? Uh, what are you guys working on? And Perhaps is there maybe another trip into this universe down down the, the way? Because I loved it. I'm so glad to hear you say that. Uh, I tend to stick with characters a lot in my fiction. So I've been thinking a lot about um, one of the characters in this novel, Noma, um, who's kind of the main character, Ethan's um, partner through this exploration of the other worlds. Um, and so there's perhaps another work of fiction involving Noma. I'm fully on board and, with that. And hopefully there's an audio drama adaptation. <laughs> you can get a whole cast involved. I love that. Oh, music to my ears. Music to my ears, guys. Thank you so, so much for joining us. It's been my pleasure. Keep uh, gracing us with your work, both of you. I love it. And I'm going to be looking for you guys on Audible. Guys, do yourself a favor, pick up, please report your bug here. It will be worth the ride, whether you're an ebook person, an audiobook. I suggest the audiobook. Please do. And thank you guys. Um, you are now friends of the show and you're welcome back any, anytime. Thank you so Thanks much for so having much. Us. It's a pleasure. Bye for now, guys. Thanks, Rye. Ryan Huey on the Chatty Bookshelf with our special guests today from Please Report Your Bug Year, Josh Riddell, and narrated by Torian Brackett. Oh, got so much to debrief about that segment. But we're going to take a break now and reflect on the whole week of conversations here on Kelly and Remia on Cut for Time. We'll be back. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Remia return in a minute.
This is Kelly and Remia. Thanks for joining us back here. We just have a couple more segments before we kick open that gateway to your weekend gently or vigorously depending on how much you're looking forward to it but hey looking forward to march because there's some cool things happening if you live in the calgary area and are interested in being part of a television studio audience we have an opportunity for you ami's original series by hook or by cook is filming two episodes in calgary on friday march 17th so put it in your calendar and you're invited to participate in this. The day includes a lot of fun things. Your picture taken uh, while you walk the red carpet. Refreshments are available to you. There's a meet and greet with Bruce Cook and other cast members. And there's a gift bag valued at $75 that you could get if you come on over on March 17th. Dave Brown's going to be part of that too. So that's going to be fun. You get to meet with him and hang out. If uh, you want more information and to reserve that spot, because it is limited spots, email info at ami.ca. Okay, Calgary and surrounding areas. Really, really cool opportunity, March 17th. Now let's get into Cut for Time. This is where we reflect on conversations from the past week that we've had here on the show and give uh, you a little bit of our takes from those conversations. I'm going to kick it off, but we also have Danielle McLaughlin and Grant Hardy joining us to give us their takes from uh, subjects that they've picked. But here we go. So Tuesday's show, we had wellness contributor Frances Wong joining us, and she talked about uh, why indoor pollution shouldn't go unnoticed. Take a listen. So there are many things that can contribute to indoor pollution, but let's talk about what we bring into the home to start out. Um, when you're out and about during the day, dust and other air pollutants can collect uh... on your clothes or on your pet, and then you trick that into your house. In the segment that we did on allergies and pollen, we talked about pollen landing on our clothes and us bringing it inside our home. So an easy quick fix is to change your clothes once you get home so you're not continuing to breathe and spread pollutants further around. You might even remember the Health Canada alert from back in January, where some giant tiger products, mostly sleepwear, robes, and ski, uh, ski pants, were recalled due to the presence of mold. Most of us are fortunate that we aren't cooking over open fires or inefficient stoves fueled by kerosene, but this is a reality for a third of the world's population. However, we're not in the clear either. Even though we are using gas stoves or electric burners, these still release contaminants like carbon monoxide. So we want to make sure that, you know, when we're cooking, that we're using the vents or fans that are in the kitchen. And of course, you have to make sure that you have a working carbon monoxide detector in your home. So these are some of the things that Francis mentioned on Tuesday. And what I really wanted to say was uh, this, along with another conversation we had throughout the week, is just how hard it is to get out during the winter, you know, and, and be physically active or just spend that outdoor time. Uh, Grant Hardy brought that up. And honestly, when you think about it from this angle, you know, how much indoor pollution there is that we're exposed to, uh, maybe we're not necessarily aware even in our own houses how locked up we are with <laughs> the dust and the mold and, and the potential of all this. And uh, some of the misunderstanding as well. You know, she went, Frances later on talked about carpets and how that could be helpful to actually trap dirt and dust and the easiest thing is to then just vacuum it out and clean your vacuum filters and throw out your vacuum bags but 
I grew up thinking that having carpets around is worse for your allergies and that that was the case. Uh, so the less carpets and more flooring, the better. Uh, but even things like just leaving your window a crack open, right? So that movement of air in your home is really important. But again, going back to my initial point, during the winter, do we think enough about this stuff? I, I mostly am just thinking about it's cold outside, it's still dark, and it's going to be dark most of the day, and I don't want to be out there. Uh, but it's not just about the physical exercise. It's about the exposure to better air quality and then also realizing, recognizing what the air quality is in your home. Danielle, quick thoughts. Yeah, um, I was recently listening to people talking about gas stoves. I love my gas stove. And uh, people have said, well, you know that using gas to cook with actually adds to pollution inside your home. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm not getting rid of my gas stove, but I am, I'll open the window a bit more when it isn't minus 13 or something like that. Um, but uh, we do... Uh, we're just not aware, and, and the molds is a very good point. Yes. Sometimes, I hate to say it, plants bring molds in, too. But then there are plants that help you purify air. Grant, That's quick right. thoughts and on to your subject. Yeah, I, I was going to echo basically what Danielle said, that, you know, it, interestingly, like, so much of us live in very small places these days, and I think that, uh, you know, first of all, a lot of us live in older buildings and even those of us that don't uh we're usually pretty clumped together with other people in very tight quarters uh and sometimes i do find that those environments are probably not the most optimal in terms of pollution i i would suspect that mold is pretty common mm -hmm. either from previous owners or tenants or just from areas that are really hard to keep dry like the the washrooms and and stuff like that uh lots of little cracks and crevices where stuff can get in and it can get pretty dusty pretty quickly it's it's actually kind of scary to think about uh all the stuff that is around and uh contemplate uh your own existence being mixed in with that and mm. of course in uh the uh third world countries that's you know significantly worse so definitely important to be mindful of this uh on a slightly lighter note much lighter note actually uh cantaloupe has developed an ada compliant uh large screen kiosk machine used for microtransactions and we spoke with their cro jeff dumbrell earlier in the week. Here he is talking about some of the accessibility features the machine has. So the way that the solution works is for low vision consumers, the peel is that it allows the consumer to interact with menu selections and product offers that are highlighted in, in large font sizes. So again, the operator can adjust the, the the size of the fonts is that appear on the screen that the consumer interacts with. And uh, another element of the solution is we also provide the operator to enable audio assistance on the kiosk for those consumers who wish to make their product selections with some assistance from, from audio tags and that kind of thing. So it's really an all-inclusive approach to creating a retail self-service environment that appeals to all consumers, which is really the goal of Cantaloupe. 
You know, I've said this before and I'll, I'll say it again. I suspect that in 50 years, 100 years, whatever, hopefully a lot of this accessibility stuff that we're talking about, people are just going to be like, yeah, this was so obvious. How is this so complicated back then? Uh, but how often have we been, I, I know in my school, my university when I, I was in school, uh, my community is packed with like vending machines that sell all kinds of stuff that I would have loved to spend money on uh, <laughs> that I just had no chance of operating. But even besides vending machines, they're talking about these microtransactions, these kinds of kiosks where, you know, you're renewing your points card or your transit card or you're getting your boarding pass at the airport or there's some sort of a machine that you just walk up to and if he only could somehow get ira or whatever to help you push the right buttons it's like mm, maybe this can be done but how cool is it to have a machine that is just barrier free that if you want to spend money and the community does want to spend money that's what people <laughs> often don't understand uh or if you uh you know want to complete some kind of transaction isn't it cool to have the freedom just to do it independently mm -hmm. i mean I, I have a laundry machine and first it was oh, coin laundry and i was like uh coin laundry is the worst and then they brought in this laundry machine where you refill a card well guess what that was even worse than the first mm -hmm. option because it was completely inaccessible and yes i used ira to try to get the assistance and and figuring out the touchscreen but unfortunately the quality of the touchscreen was so bad that they could barely get a video feed in time to press the right button before it resets to the beginning. So all the time, imagine being in your laundry room with your dirty laundry and a handful of uh, cards waiting for someone to walk in so they can help you get your laundry killed. I mean, uh, just absolutely kills your idea of independence that way. That's awful. And and, there, and there's no reason for it. There, you know, I mean, it, it, the design flaw in something like that is ridiculous. I remember my mother had one of those things and, and it, you know, she would ask me when I came over if, if I could please just refill her card because it was just too complicated. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she was able to see it. It was just too complicated to do it. And there were so many problems. I was in a, a hospital recently and discovered vending machines that you didn't need coins for that you could just tap with your your credit card and I thought well that's a good advance because you know how many times do you actually have the right coins to you know to buy whatever it is that the vending machine is selling and so often you're I mean it, it's always two o'clock in the morning when you're in a hospital right no, no matter what time of day it actually is it feels like it's two o'clock in the morning so you and you think gee you know if I if I I really need to have a coffee and they have a whole coffee kiosk and you can use a, a credit card to to tap I thought that's that's more accessible as well, rather than having to figure out where the slot is and how you put the put it in. Mm -hmm. So I, I I think that yeah we need we need to move ahead with with accessibility for everybody. I think that really is important. Now we're going to go on to my segment that I got to select on Wednesday's program. Corinne Van Dusen joined us to chat about Julie Black's rendition of O Canada, which has certainly been making a, a lot of news. Here's Corinne on how artists have a lot of sway in society. 
Um, when artists open up conversations like this, yes, it's, uh, it's, I don't want to say it's necessary, but you recognize a famous person, right? Mm. So you, mm-hmm. lots of people are know who Julie Black is, and she is opening up this conversation and saying such like this protest songs from the 1960s. It was artists saying, you know, this is, this is That's what's true. going on. These are things that we have to change. So it's, it's not a new thing for artists to do this. It's nice to see that it's continuing yeah. to open, uh, open doors and open uh, thoughts to different things. Well, I have to say that um, I've heard people who love what Julie Black did when she said she sang Our Home on Native Land, emphasizing, subtly emphasizing the word on, and other people who are absolutely incensed. The people who are absolutely incensed seem to have forgotten that we've already made a change uh, in the national anthem when we went from in all our sons command to in all of us command. Um, th- these things are not written in stone. And the, and Corinne is absolutely right. The, the conversation got started. I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. But uh, I, I loved her comparing it to the 1960s. I confess that was my, my period of my favorite music. Um, <laughs> protest songs were so important and they they raised a lot of awareness about for example the war in vietnam um you know poverty uh you know uh war and peace and you know i was uh, today happens to be um joan baez's 82nd birthday i take this very hard because she was a great hero of mine when i was hmm, a teenager and uh how, how how dare she be 82? But uh, one of the things that they, they were playing was a, a song that she was famous for called There But For Fortune. And it it explains through, through music, you know, how homelessness is, you know, terrible, but there but for fortune go you or I. So, you know, we understand that music can really inform not just what we know, but our attitudes toward it as well. And when Julie Black sang Our Home on Native Land, many of us have heard people do that before, but many of us hadn't. And I think that, um, you know, hearing her sing those words, people said, wait a minute, what did she say? And then, oh, why did she say it? Uh, you know, why did she sing it, I should I should say. So what, what do you guys think? Do, what, was that a positive thing that she did? Frank, go ahead. Oh, I think I think it's extremely positive. And I think it's so unfortunate that so many people get up in arms about uh, little changes, even removing highly racist terminologies from old songs people get really up in arms about you are changing our sacred music and i (laughs) do not appreciate this but personally i i think that uh it is true it is authentic it was uh well done and she used her platform in a very positive way to create some dialogue and uh open the discussion and then i think that's really appreciated we we should be moving towards a more inclusive society where people are less offended about moving the gauge towards more inclusivity even even sacrificing some old traditions along the way mm-hmm. yeah what do you think ramya 
I mean, you know, it's so, like, this is, there are various ways to look at this. And first of all, my sincere opinion is, yes, change the lyrics. Like, let it reflect. Because there are obviously um, the this transition of understanding what our Indigenous communities have gone through or are going through, will go through, all this reconciliation and truth means that we need to honestly do more than just give us a day off on September 30th, right? Like, it's got to be yeah. more than that. And it's progressive. So, yes, the steps keep coming. But also with art... It, with all this cancel culture and with all these other things that art is facing, um, I think that inclusivity and not offending anybody are real questions because some people, as you said, Grant, still do get offended, you know, still do get uh, upset at things changing, art changing, removing art from um, places. But and on the other hand, we want to have art and not just art, but everything really language reflect what we're going through now and what we're going through now is not close to what we went through 20 years ago 30 years ago 40 years ago right in this context and in many other contexts well i i have to say that you have no right uh to be free from being offended and if you're you know and there is no expression that won't offend somebody mm -hmm. including what a lovely day so exactly. I, I think that you know exactly. get used to it uh it, there's controversy out there, and thank goodness for that. Mm -hmm. Back to the freedoms. Uh, Danielle Grant, thank you so much for Cut for Time. Thank, thank you. you. So insightful having the conversations originally and then adding to that on Fridays with our thoughts and perspectives. Taking a break, coming back to wrap up the show and give you a tease of what's going on AMI-audio and AMI-tv over the weekend. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. up Kelly and Ramya. So if you're still sticking around, we really appreciate it. We are going to give you some content to go back and listen to on your favorite podcast platform. Of course, you can also share with your community because we have had some incredible perspectives on the show today. For a Friday show, I think we've had uh, a bit more than just light conversation, Danielle. I think we have too. It's yeah. been a really busy show and full of so many important contributions. Hard to know which is a favorite. In fact, mm. I think maybe they all are, yep. but um, I'm going to choose as the uh, to highlight today our conversation with Fern Lullum about unemployment amongst disabled people in the UK. Like here and so many other places, disabled people um, are far more likely to be unemployed than other people there you know the, the the percentages are not good at all but really interesting listening to her talk about her own personal experience where she goes in for a job interview and all they want to talk about is her disability not what she can do but you know asking silly questions of like you know can you get here to the workplace mm -hmm. uh, you know very 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 insightful is our fern all of the time she absolutely is. Fern brings us very relatable subjects when she talks and disability highlights, uh, whether it be about programming in the UK or just where disabled people feel like 
things are for them right now. So, um, you know, just so much back and forth and everybody shares and everybody is honest during these conversations, which I really appreciate. Also, we talked to Ryan Huey. Well, we listened to Ryan have a conversation about Pre Please Report Your Bug Here, which is a book authored by Josh Riddell and narrated by Torian Brackett. He says, check it out. And I say, check out the conversation because there was so much fun and sharing uh, with the author-narrator duo and how they went through the project together. Okay, now let's talk about the weekend before we let you go. On AMI Audio this Saturday, Double Tap um, has fun conversation. They're recapping this year's Zero project. We've been getting to know about the project all week with the guys live in Vienna. But this is the yearly conference in Vienna focusing on researching and sharing innovative solutions that support the rights of persons with disabilities globally. So listen to Stephen Scott's recap of the conference and interviews with some of these innovators of tech on the show. Tune into Double Tap Saturday at noon Eastern on AMI-audio. If you're down for a movie, the feature a film Lorenzo's Oil <laughs> airs Sunday on AMI-tv, and this is the 1992 drama starring Nick Nolte and Susan Sarandon following the true life story of a father and mother who fight to find a cure for their son who has a rare degenerative uh, nerve disease. Okay, check that out on, uh, let's see, Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. Nice afternoon flick. Danielle, thank you so much for ending the week with me. Uh, we don't let you go yet because you'll be back Monday for one last show this month. I, it's, that's it. We get to end the month together. I, it's so much fun. I love working with you, Ramya. It's a great treat for me. It's an absolute pleasure for me too. And on Monday's show, we have Ira updates for users with Michael Babcock. And we have more about a cane, a white cane technology. That's it for us. Have a great, fantastic weekend. We'll catch you back Monday on Kelly and Ramya. Hosts, Kelly McDonald and Ramia Amuthan. Reporter, Grant Hardy. Senior show producer, Jeff Ryman. Visual producer, Megan McGrath. Producer, Marianne Dion Jones. Graphics, Andrew Antonello. Production assistant, Kingsley Juco. Control room operators, Daniel Penamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby. Director, Irene Solomon. Manager of Live Production, Paula Deneen. Manager of Operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of AMI-audio, Andy Frank. Director of TV Production, Kara Nye. Vice President, Content Development and Production, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback, 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023, Accessible Media Inc. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.